Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam Hartings. I'm looking forward to Christmas, Mark. Yeah, happy Christmas, Liam. Happy Christmas to everyone that's following the podcast during the year. Much appreciated. Hope you have a good one. Uh, eat plenty of turkey and uh, plenty of rugby over the festive period. I suppose what we'll look at, uh, Liam, I suppose round two of the Heineken Champions Cup and Challenge Cup. Who's impressed? Who hasn't? Have a look at the festive period. Uh, URC back in action again. Some tasty Irish interprovincial derbies. I suppose, Liam, let's kind of start off round two. Uh, Heineken Champions Cup. Franklin Gardens, Northampton. Munster and Munster come away with a 17-6 win against Northampton. Uh, what were your thoughts on the match? I was absolutely delighted. It was a, a real back to the wall, typical Munster performance. 50 minutes, I, I think we dominated. Yeah, last 30, they had the ball. We were down to 13 men, probably could have been down to 12. To be honest, we, we could be down to 11, and I don't think Northampton would have scored, you know. <laughs> so so good were we defensively, so strong were we at the breakdown. I think that was probably the key as well. But what I, what I really liked about the game for Munster was... That why, yeah, we were rock solid defensively. We were very, very good offensively as well. And if you really look at it at the game overall, Northampton didn't have anything to offer apart, like in that second half, from going mall to mall to mall. You know, we, we held them up quite quickly, you know, uh, and we also were able to nick uh, line outs at will when we wanted to as well. I suppose, given the fact that Northampton Saints have been lauded before this fixture given the number of tries that they've scored so far in the Gallagher Premiership, would have probably expected a little bit more from them from an attacking sense, but I think you're giving Munster Rugby a massive disservice just in terms of their defensive stand. But I suppose we'll start from the start here, Dean. And uh, it was a strong start from Munster. And uh, Keith Earls back in the side, very prominent early doors, you know, being released on the, the flanks there and some deft plays from Keith Earls to get some field territory for Munster. Well, for, firstly, I'm going to just mention Courtney Laws was out. Like, he's, our, he's our talisman. I, exactly. I thought instantly that was six six points plus for Munster in the game. But yeah, the very first minute. I mean, the very first minute we attacked, which was absolutely brilliant to see. And it was Crowley, you know, as he was, as he did for, for his time on the pitch. He was first receiver. Pass away to, to O'Mahony. And we had Frisch involved to Earls. So that, that was a really good, um, really excellent... Um, I suppose first minute, right? <laughs> then, we, then we had the third minute where we had Frisch, like literally, his pass uh, got a Earl's way down the wing. No, absolutely no. It was a very prominent start, positive on the front foot, which is brilliant to see. I suppose you have to give kind of good credit to Calvin Nash winning a great early breakdown penalty, securing more field territory for Munster. Now, albeit there was a Northampton penalty, but it did kind of set the tone here, Liam, didn't it, a little bit leading up to. Gavin Coombs' try uh, on 13 minutes. We had a mall there for the fourth, fifth, sixth minute, I'd say. We're very, very strong looking. And Byrne, again, very prominent. Byrne was passing to Earls. He was passing to Ryan. He was passing all around him. like He was like a second playmaker himself, to be honest about it. But yeah, um, it was kind of inevitable, really, when Munster actually get, got the try. Coombs... Took it very well. Um, it was lots of pick and goes, and he finished well. Good credit goes to Miles Scandal. I know it was his 150th appearance for Munster Rugby. You know, it's an outstanding career with Munster and Scandal. The tap and go, you know, he did make some invaluable like, yards there in the lead up. But I mean, you're not stopping Gavin Coombs from that close range. 
I mean, the guy's an absolute beast with ball in hand. So, I mean, it was a great start. Joey Carberry slotting over the conversion. 7-0. Northampton then responded uh, with a penalty in midfield. Uh, Smith slotting home. We had Carberry and Smith then exchanging penalties at that stage. And then we kind of led up to the 36th minute. And I think the best move of the match, uh, Liam, in terms of that Munster line-out, quality execution uh, from O'Mahony and Byrne. Setting Gavin Coombs up, and I really felt sorry for the back three of Northampton having to see Gavin Coombs in full flow uh, for that try. But it was a super score for Munster Rugby. It was, over. of course, yeah. But I mean, I mean, like you know, the, in terms of the line out, that burn, like one handed, it wasn't even a pop pass. It was like he just threw it out in front perfectly. I thought anyway for for um, Gavin Coombs to come on the ball just at, at speed, and he's he's, he's almost he's unstoppable. There, he's one of the guys in world of he's unstoppable as number eight. Carberry converting, uh, convert, converting, and then you know six seventeen. That was quite comfortable to be going in at half time. We gotten the, the the two tries as well, and a very good performance. You know, I all the guys were prominent. What I was happy with, like you know, obviously like the usual guys stood up like like O'Mahony and and Byrne, but Freesh, excellent again. Calvin Nash and and, and Earls was lively as well. Absolutely. No, I think at halftime you had to be well pleased from a Munster Rugby perspective. They were creating width and they were creating massive metres gained. To be perfectly honest, it kind of looked as if Munster could go on here and secure that bonus point, which we thought would be very unlikely uh, in our preview last week. But uh, that second half, uh, Liam, talk about game of two halves and the weather had closed in in Northampton at this stage. You know, some heavy rain was falling at this stage. But um, what were your thoughts in terms of that second half? I mean, the defensive stand was absolutely superb, but the number of penalties that were being given against Munster, any complaints here? <laughs> well, well, certainly complaints for Northampton fans. But, like, to me, what happened in the game essentially was Munster could get in their outside quite easily in that first 50 minutes. Northampton never... If you actually think about it, they never got on our outside. A lot of that is, you know, we had Scannell and Freesh, Earls, you know, just just very, very good alignment defensively. I actually thought we could have killed the game, Mark, there the second half, beginning of the second half, where I think it was Klein had a massive carry with Freesh on his shoulder, and oh, they were yes. going down the, the left hand side and you know I, I think that was maybe something that, that was blown I think that that it was a kind of a, a knock on a forward pass and that would have finished the game so that's I you know and I, I thought for the first time minutes the second half actually we were we were quite solid we were quite good as well and then yeah I think then probably when we had ribbon that that key moment was ribbons tackle on our prop and um there seven and Jack O'Donoghue getting the yellow and that, that kind of got them back into the game, Northampton, at that stage. just seems to me that Northampton needed a little bit of energy from somewhere because, as you said, that first 10 minutes, Munster again on the front foot, as you said, there was line breaks. I think that Frisch, that try goes over, game over here. I think Northampton Saints fans are probably hitting the exits at that stage. But um, what was your viewpoint on that flashpoint between uh, Jack Donoghue and uh, Ludlam? It kind of looked as if the two boys were... Settling a few scores, but I thought there was one or two players other than these two that probably got off a bit light in terms of any sanctions. Yeah, there, there, was, there wasn't hardly handbags. If you actually look at the whole coming in, 
what was the worst coming in was actually this guy Proctor coming mm. in on Earls. He came in on Earls, like basically like a torpedo with shoulders. And I thought if he connected there with Earls' head, <laughs> the man was dead, like literally dead. So I thought actually him coming in was worthy of, of yellow. That that was my reading of it. But um, I, I trust you, in terms of picking out, you know, Jack O'Donoghue, over a half dozen players, I, I, I couldn't really say anything about that, like, you know, myself. I think it was just handbags, really. But I think from Ludlam's perspective, he needed to create energy in the crowd. He needed to create energy within the team. And he certainly achieved that because, as you said here, Liam, from a Northampton Saints perspective, the performance did pick up in terms of their territory platform. And it seemed to knock Munster off kilter a little bit in terms of penalties that they were conceding. Obviously, Jack O'Donoghue and Ludlam in the sin bin. And then they were quickly followed by Craig Casey. And can I get you a few points on that there, uh, Liam, just in terms of the aerial uh, challenge? And uh, was that a penalty try? Well, he, he was tackled in the air. That's 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 certainly and uh, my read anyway would be that it was a penalty try that Earls Earls was actually quite a bit away. So there, it, it, that was the, the last the last man standing was uh, I would say it was Casey. So I would I would have personally given him a penalty try. I thought they were harshly done by at that stage. And I suppose in those 10, 15 minutes afterwards as well, where. Kilcoyne <laughs> came around the side about about three miles in, in a row. <laughs> yeah, and at least there, you know what I mean. There was no yellow given, I suppose, as well. But yeah, that's that's my read on it anyway in terms of the penalty try. Yeah, no, I certainly agree. I think Northampton probably feeling a little bit hard done by there in terms of that. Earl's probably closest player to Casey, but realistically, is he getting across to make the try saving tackle? Probably not. I think, you know, the seven points in Sinbin probably would have been worthy for Northampton Saints and would have brought them right back into the game. But again, it's not as if Northampton Saints didn't have opportunities here, Liam. Can't deep in Munster Rugby territory, but you have to give massive credit to Munster Rugby in terms of time and time again when they needed a breakdown, when they needed a line-out steal. The team came up trumps and defensively so well organised. So I think that probably a stellar day from Dennis Leamy's perspective, from a coaching perspective, to see the team so galvanised in their defensive work. Yeah, I, I I I was delighted to see the likes of O'Mahony and, and Byrne, their um, steals at the line out as well. And to be fair, I, I I thought we held them up quite quite comfortably in in terms of their own line out mall. In the the last ten minutes, really, you know, we were quite comfortable against them. The scrum was under pressure, but like you know, we we get we get massive defending, and the seventy second or seventy third minute. When we um we, we turned over the ball, but then somehow we kicked the ball back to them and didn't find touch. But I, I even just have, I felt at that stage that was realistically probably the game won. They weren't going to get two converted tries that, at that stage anyway. Their ideas did seem to be spent quite a long way out, Liam. And I would also concur here and probably argue that Munster had won the game on battle, battle here. Physicality battle was won by Munster here, and I think from a Northampton Saints perspective, I don't think there was any appetite here to really kind of uh, hit the trenches, uh, particularly in that last 10 minutes. There was no creativity, even from a forward pack perspective, no real kind of changing of running lines, all very predictable. We're getting absolutely zero response, and you could see the despondency. It had started in the crowd in Franklin Gardens, I thought, with about 10 minutes left. 
you could see certain fans leaving. Always bad sign for a home team. But I mean, from a Munster rugby perspective, players-wise, seeing that, that galvanised you, the support that was there for Munster rugby, incredible. And I think it would be perfectly fair. I mean, Joey Carberry gets in mid on 68 minutes for an offside. But again, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have known that Munster were down to 14 players. They saw the game through fairly uh, comfortably and were ending the game on the up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, look, I, I, I just thought the overperformance was very, very, very good. Um, pretty much all the players like stood out. Like, you know, I thought I actually thought Murray in 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 his cameo there was excellent. I think he varied the game very well with his kicking. Um, sometimes he he actually was kicking grubber kicks through as well, which is I thought was very clever. You know, so they 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 didn't know what to make of us um, attacking, and again. Again, Frisch, really like like he looks like a serious serious player. Nash, really on the ball. That centre combination is working well for us. And like the back row, like just to break down again, we were we were we were just king, totally. Absolutely, they must have seen something on video analysis, particularly under the amount of rubber kicks that were Peter has done it very early on. You mentioned Connor Murray, but obviously he had identified some backfield advantage there by doing it and it certainly did work yeah I do concur with you I thought Mike Haley again very strong solid game defensively also 11 carries 70 meters thought Calvin Nash not just for his attacking play but I thought his defensive all-around work here he improves with each passing game I thought there was key interventions from Calvin Nash particularly from attacking perspective that set down an awful lot of breakdown turnover ball uh for Munster very impressive Crowley didn't put a foot wrong I thought at 12 uh, Scanlon comes in after 54 minutes, closes the deal. I think all in all here, Liam, uh, Graham Rountree and the management staff should be very happy in terms of showing both the attacking variety, particularly in the first 50 minutes, but also showing that steel and res- resoluteness to close out the game from that defensive stand perspective. Absolutely, absolutely, should, should be delighted. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's an away win in Franklin's Gardens. It's it's still a, a tough place to go in one of the homes of English rugby. To come away, you know, having prevented also as much Northampton in in picking up any points from the game is very satisfactory, and it really kind of sets us up for those two like return fixtures, like so Northampton in January, looking to get a I suppose a bonus point victory there to to get us essentially out of the group. Current situation, Munster currently on five points after two games, currently sitting in sixth place in that Group B of Champions Cup. Northampton are pretty much, I think, out of it here, Liam, be fair to say, uh, given that they do have La Rochelle in their schedule. Um, so Munster, you know, that return fixture in round three is going to be a key one for Munster Rugby to get a win. And if they could at all, bonus territory, getting a bonus point win here to really set themselves up massively for that last fixture away to Toulouse in round four. I'm kind of confident enough we could still get a, a losing bonus point in Toulouse, but couldn't really see us picking up the, the full victory there in, in one of the homes of the powerhouses. But I mean, that, that you know, bonus point win and losing bonus point to lose and we'd be actually quite in a good position, I would reckon, in the, in the overall rankings at that stage then. Exactly. But I think for Munster Rugby, I think five points in the next home game probably is a key a key return required. But again, first things first, get the performance right. And I mean, you can see the positivity you can see the progression within the side in the last few weeks, and it's great to see. And uh, no, great win. In fact, the defensive stand, 181 tackles made. 
really the conditioning of the players really came into their own, particularly in that last 30 minutes, particularly being shorthanded. But again, marvellous credit goes to uh, Munster uh, for a good road trip win at Franklin's Gardens. I suppose quickly, uh, Liam, looking at the other Irish provinces, don't delve too much into that Leinster rugby, Gloucester rugby uh, win. Gloucester certainly didn't, given the squad selection they picked to travel to Dublin. But 57-0, pretty routine stuff from Leinster rugby on Friday night. Yeah, pretty routine. I mean, I mean, they they pretty much what they got nine tries and a lot most of them were from nine out malls. So that that says a lot about the, the just like the the power differential between some of the Irish teams. In fact, as you alluded to there, uh, you know, Munster and Northampton, there was actually a power differential, really mm-hmm. there, and does it there was definitely a power differential between uh, Leinster and Gloucester, even along with the fact they rested the rested players. So you had Doris and Van der Fleer. Sheehan, very prominent. To be fair, some 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 really nice nice passing, you know. I mean, I think Doris passed the first try for a, a um, pick up from me when when he got through Gloucester quite easy. Nice pass to to low. He also in the second half, absolute like bullet pass almost um, uh, right to left to to low as well. And then Van der Fleer touching down for two tries as well, quite prominent. And Doris himself coming in as a blood substitute for for Radvrio was off, ended the match with the last try as well. So I mean, look, I mean it's very hard to judge for Leinster even I guess how this will will rank in terms of how they're performing. But again, Ross Byrne was was out half and again he gave a good display even though he didn't convert a lot of their initial tries actually but again as you said before he's a guy that has to be looked at his overall playing uh, performance level is quite good Leo Cullen be relatively satisfied you don't learn anything from a game like that particularly given the 23-man squad that Gloucester rugby put over and this contention that this would have been any different given the Gloucester first team that would have come over I'd question that I seriously think there would be a massive differential there between the teams anyway, even in the RDS. So I think from that perspective, Leinster beat what was in front of them. They're two from two, 10 points, maximum points. And look at the score differential, uh, is through the roof. So I think from that perspective, they're looking as if they're going to be one of the top seeds in Pool A. So, I mean, they have Gloucester uh, in King's home straight after Christmas. We'll see how good Gloucester actually are in their home patch, but... I can't really see Leinster being posed too many problems there. And then obviously they have their home leg against Racing 92, who remotely may have a chance. But given that they're zero for two at the moment, they may be uh, in a little bit of trouble. So it's all pointing very well for Leinster Rugby, getting into the deep into the competition. And that's what the O'Connor wants. And he knows himself and the players know that, look, there's going to be far tougher assignments come the new year and even in the festive period than what was offered here by Gloucester Rugby. Uh, it was poles apart, really. I suppose Ulster Rugby, 29-0 down at halftime, but I suppose after all the background in terms of Kingspan, Aviva, it was a heartening performance from Ulster in the second half, but damage had been completely done in that first half where La Rochelle uh, dominated. So what were your thoughts there, Liam? Yeah, well, look, I mean, if he's 29 and a half time, you know, there's only one way you can go, like it's probably upwards, you know. But I, I, I think this all comes back to the shocking way that Ulster have Raven Hill that on Friday night it was 60% still frozen over and they had no contingency plan. 
for having their La Rochelle game somewhere else close to them. And then, you know, to think that they lost out on such massive absolute revenue and that on the Saturday you had La Rochelle with their fans actually inside in the Aviva Stadium. Just It was a bad luck for the organisers. Certainly a rotten weekend by all the counts for Ulster Rugby. As you say, this is probably one of their key fixtures lead up to Christmas. You can imagine a lot of office parties. You can imagine the sport base, full packed house in Kingspan. They were thinking investments of 700 grand being lost here, but I would go back to Ulster Rugby, particularly the, league, the week of the game. We're hearing all about Mother Nature coming in to give the, the game a bit of a boost in the Kingspan, but I don't know what the contingency plans here were for Ulster Rugby in terms of you know getting protection on the pitch, in terms of the cold weather, heat blowers, anything at all to kind of get this game on. But it did seem as if the organiser's hand was forced particularly with La Rochelle's logistics scheduling, uh, that they were all booked and ready to go on the Sunday. So, I mean, it's not a good look for the competition, and particularly when the press release cited that this would be a behind-closed-doors game in the Viva, just given that the late nature of the stewarding required. And then you see a contingent of La Rochelle supporters, also Ronald Agar and stands, and zero Ulster fan representation. It just didn't look... It was not a good look here for this competition and back to the bad days of the pandemic and playing in near virtual stadiums, empty stadiums. It's just a bad look overall for the competition, really, Liam, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, because it, looking at one stage as if they were going to allow, um, award La Rochelle uh, the five try bonus point win, you know, that was that was the the, the stark choice there. So they, they, they had to go ahead with it. And I think, too, also that La Rochelle... They had all their logistics done, so they had their hotels and, and their transport all booked and wouldn't have been able to make it back if the game was played on a Sunday. So I think that was quite clear why it had to go ahead then on the on the Saturday. Yeah, indeed. Now La Rochelle started the match exceedingly well, Lean. Boyden, no certain circumstance by Ronan Agarra being in the stands and Hestoy had a great game, sliding over penalties, taking advantage of an awful lot of cohesion issues, particularly in that Ulster defence. Ian Henderson's yellow card was pretty kind of erratic, I thought. And then came Brees Doolan and Hastoy with tries in this first half to make it 29-0. And I suppose, Liam, if you're in the restaurant with Ulster Rugby, as you said, the only way is up. I think there was a bit of pride. I think shackles were off. The result probably gone. And I thought Ulster really come out with a vengeance in that second half, showed some great signs. And particularly the front five particularly back row and also the likes of Cooney and also Doak as well really orchestrating things magnificently well for Ulster a little bit too little too late but if you're an Ulster rugby video analysis this week you could probably throw your hat in terms of that second half performance being the springboard for the rest of the season yeah and it's again it's it's kind of worrying in terms of the fixtures coming up even you know Munster in in Ravenhill and uh, it's it'll be hard to see if Ulster can can pull up a, a win there, and if they don't, they're they're back into the chasing pack really. But uh, I suppose John Cooney crucial that he slotted a penalty to get them two points. So the four tries plus the losing bonus point, and that that keeps them in in Europe. Absolutely, faint chance, but again, it's playoff rugby for Ulster rugby from here on out. 
Again, you have that return fixture in Rarisha, which looks a very formidable, daunting task right now after Christmas. And then obviously they have Sail Sharks in Kingspan on the last game. So hopefully it can come down to the last game here, Liam. But I think the inaccuracies, particularly in that opening period, really does kind of raise questions again in terms of the preparation of the sides. You know, really didn't start on the front foot at all. Again, it's probably question marks for the Ulster rugby team coming to Galway in the sports ground on Friday, December 23rd. To face Connacht's team that uh, won 31-24 against Breve on Friday night. But I suppose it was costly, given the injuries that were sustained uh, during that loss. Well, it was also going to be one of those, one of those games um, where the French team were going to come out and probably try and almost decapitate uh, some, of the, some of the opposition, especially... The history there, where you had the former kind of prop, where you had Papalihi, where you also had Sammy Arnold. So there was, there's going to be a bit of a afters there. Yeah, two very serious injuries there, I suppose, look for for Thornbury and, and Boyle. Yeah, I think they're the kind of the marquee headlines coming from this. Now, granted, there was a, there was a few positives there from a uh, Connacht perspective. Todd Hawkshaw, for at least 60 minutes, played incredibly well. Early try set the tone. Tom Daly, Kilgallen with a superb try when Breve were down to 13 players. And then you'd also Delahunt straight after half time. Again, the bonus point was secured, but I suppose the negatives here, Liam. Gavin Thornbury's knee injury looks quite serious. Surgery on Monday. We wish Gavin Thornbury all the best, but that looks like a long term absenteeism from the squad. And Gavin Thornbury coming back to form is a bit of a blow here. And that will really test out the depth chart from Connacht. And also uh, Paul Boyle as well. Again, that shoulder, an injury inflicted by Papa Lee and that red card. So again, from that perspective, there was physicality central. But again, it just, it was a very attritional battle here for Connacht. But everything looked to be fine here for Connacht heading into the final quarter. But I suppose video analysis in Connacht this week will focus on that last 20 minutes particularly. Uh, when you had Rafi and also Fabian, who's a 20-year-old prospect from France, really putting a bit of a nervy finish on here, which it just didn't need to be. Um, three tries in that last 20 minutes. It's uh, maybe a source of concern here for Connacht, particularly in the game management, but also the defensive side of the ball, that they weren't unable to hold out against uh, 14 players of brief. Yeah, it does, it does say a lot, as you said. They, they played most of the game against 14 players, Going forward for Connacht, you know, a bit of a bit of a collapse again, really, in, in that final quarter. They could have come away with a, an even better win, I suppose, where they would have prevented Breve getting any points at all. Exactly. Now, again, granted, it's a win for Connacht. Uh, they're sitting nicely on Poulet in fourth place. Two wins, nine points. They're nestled in there with the likes of Bristol, Toulon, Cardiff Rugby. And again, they have a return uh, fixture with Breve in the sports ground. I would imagine Breve will be bringing over reserves after a very busy, busy festive period. So Connick really should be here marking five points there. And then travelling to Kingston Park to face Newcastle side that are now 0-2 for two in this competition. And I'd say interest in the Challenge Cup probably gone. So I think, Liam, you had alluded to this last week in the podcast this looks like a nice opportunity for Connacht to be up there, maybe as one of the top seeds here going into the playoffs in the spring uh, in this competition. Yeah, I, I think themselves, Cardiff, the Lions and Glasgow 
are by far and away the top four sides left now. They they have they have a really good opportunity. Obviously, getting top of their pool, I I think they're well capable of doing that. And going forward, their chance maybe of being in Europe next season is more stronger aligned to them getting to the the final and and winning the Challenge Cup possibly. Yeah, I think the URC, the tail of the tape during the festive period, and particularly before the Six Nations, um, will really determine here from Connacht Rugby their priorities in this competition. But look, they're in a good position at the moment. I'd imagine that they should be getting full points against Breve in the return fixture, and that will set them up, I would think, for a lengthy kind of playoff push. And look, in the springtime, in Connacht and sports crowd, there'll be a team that no one would want to face here, Liam. So, but again... Best of wishes to Paul Boyle and also to Gavin Thornbury on their injuries and hopefully they make a speedy recovery. I suppose, Liam, kind of going into the Heineken Champions Cup, what other teams impressed you in round two uh, this, uh, last weekend? Yeah, I probably would have to say definitely the, the Stormers. You know, um, I thought that the Stormers were going to be a, a, a real um, handful for London Irish, but I thought it was going to be a high scoring game and, and nothing in it, but like they actually had a very comfortable win in the end. Um, they actually had a few tries disallowed as well. So so they're looking strong. I would also say that Exeter, like they won 44-14 against the Bulls. You know, they were at home, I know, but that's quite, an, that's quite a statement. And Leicester now are two from two, and, and they're, they're motoring. They're doing quite well, Leicester. So that kind of stood out for me as well. I also thought uh, Leicester... Did quite well against Clermont. That was quite a good victory. Completely agree with you there, uh, Liam. I think Leicester Tigers, the farewell game for Steve Borwick and Kevin Sinfield, who joined the England, who were joining the England setup uh, effectively immediately. I think it was a hard fought win against Clermont Avern. Again, those two teams so familiar to, with each other. So that was a good uh, performance. Yeah, I think Exeter Chiefs and maybe the Sharks as well, South Sea Sharks. Going to France, Bordeaux, Begles, and getting that 1916 win, I think that was a marquee result, particularly for the South African sides. Particularly going on the road to France, we know as much as anyone here, Liam, in terms of how difficult this is to get a result in France. And the fact that the Sharks did get that, particularly with their pack being the platform, I think is a big statement of intent. And I think the Sharks really are pinpointing their hopes of season on the Heineken Champions Cup. The other team obviously we have to kind of call out to lose here we reckoned that Sale Sharks would come in to the Ernest Vallon with little pressure and put it up to Toulouse but how wrong were we Toulouse really were rampant in a certain scrum half uh, lean doing massive damage for Toulouse on Sunday yeah it was it was um very comfortable for them in, in the end as uh, we actually thought that Sale based on the their previous form in the premiership and in the previous round there will be nothing in it, but um, yeah, um, when, when they when they click form and when when Dupont is on form, they're they are unplayable. The one team I did forget, and I think we have to kind of mention this is from a Welsh region's perspective, the results and performance of the Ospreys against Montpellier was sensational on Saturday, twenty one ten, full value for the win, and I think that's a, a timely boost for Ospreys and particularly for the Welsh regions. I know Scarlets are doing quite well in terms of the Challenge Cup, but I think this is a marquee win for Ospreys, Tommy Booth. I think you could use this as a springboard for the rest of the season, so it'll be interesting to see what the Ospreys, particularly with the, the local derbies in Wales, how the Ospreys bounce 
after this result. I think it was a superb win. Uh, I think it took Montpellier completely by surprise. So, and it maybe kind of allows Ospreys to have the possibility or dream of the possibility of being there in the reckoning come the end of this qualification campaign, which would be massive uh, for the ball club. It was probably the performance of the round to go away to, to Montpellier. I think that the Ospreys might have picked up a bonus point loss in their first game. They did, yes. Um, so as you as you point out, they are live. They're live after two games now. And and with home fixture to come and an away fixture, I mean, look, they're, they're in there for qualification now. No, absolutely. And again, Saracens getting the job done against Lyon 28-20. That was a very abrasive physical contest in Lyon. But again, the big guns are coming to play here, Aline. Particularly, you see the likes of Leinster, Exeter, Saracens, Sharks, all two from two. Edinburgh had a good win against Cass as well, 31-20. I think we'd kind of flagged that last week on the podcast. And then you're kind of looking in Pool B, you're seeing the likes of La Rochelle, Toulouse, Leicester. They're the three teams with 100% records in Pool B. Then you have the likes of Sale, Stormers, Munster. Yeah, Osprey's on five points as well. So, I mean, it's fairly tight there in terms of Pool B, but I think, Liam, look, there's going to be nothing easy given in this competition and some of the calibre of teams that are up there really does, uh, maybe apart from Racing 92, who are currently in 11th place in Pool A, but, I mean, an awful lot of heavy hitters there that could be going into the spring in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tremendous. And that, that, that has to be said is one point about the round of 16, the, the four games as opposed to the six. There's definitely like very little dead rubbers and every game is like super, super competitive. So, yeah, the, there's still a lot of teams that are going to be there thereabouts come the springtime. You're, pro- you're probably looking at the moment at London Irish, Saints cast Racing, Leon, and Bordeaux. So there's probably what five, six teams that are probably pro- pretty much ruled out, but um, the rest of all to play for for sure. I still think out of them, Racing 92 might be the one team that could potentially spring something. I'm just thinking in terms of their home game against Harlequins. I thought they were very unlucky against Harlequins for long stages. It was a vastly improved performance compared to the performance against Leinster and La Havre. So I think from that perspective, Liam. Racing 92 definitely, I think, could get the job done against Harlequins, but then they'd have to go to Dublin and RDS to get a result against Leinster. Best luck with that anyway, given Leinster's imperious home form. So, But I'm with you there. I think there's a few teams there that are probably out of Champions Cup reckoning, and you wonder in terms of their mentality, their mindset, going into these last two games, there might be potential five points on offer for their opponents. I suppose, Liam, we can probably switch to the festive period. URC is back after the European Cup rounds have concluded. I suppose there's some feisty festive period derbies, no more so than this Friday night, Connacht Ulster uh, in the sports ground. I think key game for both teams, given how the season has gone so far, Liam. Yeah, and again, a, a game that Connacht are very much capable of winning. You know, I mean, if you're looking over the last period on, on form, Connacht probably have a better form now than, than Ulster. You question Ulster's mental fragility, and the fact that Connacht are almost certainly going to front up on Friday night. So, yeah, I mean, look, we're talking about Connacht game. It's a game that uh, I think Connacht are capable of winning. A, a kind of a real tight game, possible, you know, a lot of, lot of kicks, penalty kicks. Um, I, I, I think Connacht can, can pull it off. But Ulster obviously getting 
getting a losing bonus point. Yeah, I think this is a key game for us for rugby as well. I know news of Rob Herring and also Billy Burden's being out probably is a, a hindrance, but I think from an Ulster rugby and management perspective, there has to be a bit of a siege mentality here to get a job done in Galway. Because as you said, Connacht will be coming fully loaded on this team, uh, this fixture, and particularly historically, Ulster rugby haven't had the best records in the sports ground. Remember a few trouncings here in recent seasons. So I think it's imperative for Ulster rugby to front up mentally, but also physically here in this game. I would probably edge this still to Connacht, just given that they've had that kind of rotation of certain players in the Challenge Cup, maybe that might be an edge. But I think Ulster Rugby have to come with a performance because they do realise if they lose this game, they're in danger of getting back into the chasing pack. Like you're looking at the current league table here, Liam. Leinster on 43 after nine games. Bulls, nine games played, 34. Bulls, eight games, 34. Ulster, 31. And any of the Lions, 24 points. Now, again, a few losses, a few indifferent performances off Ulster continuing. And you could see the likes of Lions, Edinburgh, Cardiff, Rugby, even Munster here kind of picking ground up. So I think it's imperative for Ulster to have a good festive period to kind of give themselves a bit of breathing space come uh, the new year. So I think Connacht for me anyway, I think maybe marginally by three to five points. Just um, until Ulster provide that full 80-minute performance, I think you have to kind of go for Connacht, just given the, the form guide at the moment. On the 26th, we have Munster-Leinster. Some pre-game notes in terms of a certain Parky Keeve mentioned about promoting the game. But I suppose Tolman Park is going to be firmly sold out for that game, Liam. Are we hopeful that Munster will provide A, a performance, and B, maybe picking an unlikely victory here against Leinster? Well, I'm expecting the win, Mark. Absolutely. <laughs> Goes without saying. Yeah, no, honestly, I, 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 I just uh, I feel... There comes a time where, where where you have to put on a marker, and I think Munster, if we can field our, our, a strong side against them, we will put on a marker. We ha- we ha- we ha- we're showing that physicality and that power game at the moment, and you can see it in the likes of Gavin Coombs, the way he's playing. When you have Byrne and O'Mahony in there pilfering lineouts and and ball, so yeah, and I I just think all the players pretty much are in form. Like literally, I, I can't think of one Munster player that really isn't, you could say, off form at the moment. Look, again, the only thing you'd be worried about would be, say, if the likes of John Ryan wasn't playing at all, you know, how would our scrum go? But apart from that, I'm very confident that whatever team Leinster pick, that we will come away with a narrow victory. It will be intriguing just to see the squad selections, who's going to front load in terms of earmarking that game. And who's not? Now, the Leinster squad is so vast that any side that they do bring down to Limerick on St. Stephen's Day will be a very competitive side. You know, you could see the likes of Jordan Larmer really kind of featuring here. You know, he did have a cameo off the bench uh, for Leinster last week against Gloucester. Looked impressive. So, the likes of Joe McCarthy. Guys like that will be getting extended game minutes. I think there's rumours that Tyke Furlong is earmarking this game as well. So, there'll be nothing soft here from Munster. I think my comment here the start of this preview of this fixture is that the record for Munster is very sorry reading against Leinster, you know, the number of losses consecutively now. So I think from a Munster perspective, I think we have to put up or shut up in terms of this uh, fixture and really set down the marker as you say, and I would be hopeful that there is a performance here and it would do the ball club a world of good 
if they could get over the line against Leinster in St. Stephen's Day and would really propel them for 2023, particularly and also that uh, that Ulster game in the Kingspan. So to me, it looks delicately poised, but at least we'll see here, Liam, in terms of Munster Rugby, where the progression is at, given the fixture that they had earlier on in the season when Munster may not have had that much confidence going in in the Viva. They had shown some nice moments against Leinster. But they are coming in with a bit of a form guide to back it up now. So I'm intrigued. I'm not going to call it really, but I'm hoping first and foremost that Munster do front up and do actually produce a performance here on the night. Yeah, I think I think that's what we're, we're, we're looking for, a, a performance to really put it up at least to uh, Leinster. Of course, I suppose the thing is, uh, what kind of quality have we played? You know, it's always, we play all these other teams and then you come up against the quality of Leinster and you see really what level you're 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 at. But I mean, our form has just rocketed up since since the South Africa game. So just I hope that keeps going. Exactly. No, I think it'll be a tasty fixture. Some people have said that this rivalry is dead and gone. I don't believe that for a second. I think Tots had Leinster players, ex-players, current players, head coach. Same with Munster as well. This is one that whets that appetite. You circle in this game, particularly in those two camps at the start of pre-season, during the season get yourself right I think this will be a phenomenal game I think we'll probably see Jason Jenkins feature here for Leinster Rugby as well returning to Munster and Tolman Park so I think there could be plenty of fireworks there and hopefully the officiating here just lets the game flow and uh, we have a good game on in store I suppose then uh, Liam on New Year's uh, Day uh, we have two kind of local derbies again Ulster playing Munster and Kingspan and also Leinster entertaining uh, Connacht um, again we don't know in terms of team selections or squad selection policy here, but I mean, given how things may go here for Ulster against Connacht, could be a potential must-win game against Munster and Kingspan, and the same for Munster as well after that Leinster game. So it could be a season-defining fixture for both teams. It could, but again, I mean, it almost depends on the, the previous fixture, doesn't it? I mean, if Connacht, as I potentially expect, beat Ulster, Ulster's confidence would be just absolutely rock bottom facing Munster. And again, it's a question of if Munster, you know, can we get the win or is it narrow defeat or is it a more comprehensive defeat and mentally how that would affect them going up to Ulster. So it's, again, it's it's quite a hard game to call. And Ulster, I suppose, traditionally in those New Year fixtures have had a bit of an upper hand in the last few years. Um, I would find it hard to call this game. Again, I would probably say... Munster potentially to to get over the line that Ulster's confidence could be a bit low. Munster will put in a performance at the very least against Leinster, and the key is that what kind of a team is available for the Ulster game. They may this year target the Ulster game with a stronger squad. Yeah, I definitely think so, and I think there might be um, an ounce of maybe revenge coming into it here, uh, Liam, for Munster Rugby. You think back to that URC playoff nightmare last season, up in the Kingspan, where it was an absolute rout. Uh, I think a few players from Munster would like to right a few wrongs, particularly on New Year's Day, uh, particularly so. I think Munster Rugby, it'll be fascinating to see their squad selection for the sports ground fixture, because I feel that is an important game for Ulster, given the slide that they're on, and let's admit it, they're on a slide here, a form at the wrong time of the year, really. Uh, given European rugby, I think they had an awful lot of high aspirations to do well there, and they're really on a knife edge in terms of that. And then the URC, having such a strong start, 
But that Leinster performance, hate to go back to it in the RDS, that second half has really defined an awful lot of their games so far since then. So, I mean, I think from an Ulster rugby perspective, that Connacht game is is the must win. If they don't, then you can see the spiraling out of control a little bit for Ulster, which is unfortunate for them. But that's the fact of the matter. And you can see Munster coming in, Boyd with a little bit of confidence. Because I feel Munster have a performance in them to really compete against Leinster. But I think from Ulster rugby perspective, being a home game, I think all the pressure would be on them. And I do agree with you here, Liam. If Munster can absorb a bit of pressure in the first 15, 20 minutes, this home crowd might get a little bit angsty here. And I think Munster rugby could win this by three to five points. And that would do the world of wonders here for Con- or for Munster in terms of their positioning in the URC as we kind of go into the new year. I suppose, Liam, looking at other games in terms of the URC, we do have some tasty South African derbies. We also have Glasgow-Edinburgh, we have Sharks-Lions, Stormers-Bulls, the Dragons-Cardiff Rugby, Benetton-Zebri, Osprey-Scarlets. Anything kind of stand out for you there? I suppose the Stormers-Bulls, you know, that looks like a quite a tasty fixture uh, to inform size. The, the, the actual Scottish Derby, Warriors-Edinburgh, I have to say, always, always produces. And yeah, Dragons-Cardiff, that's quite a tasty fixture as well. So yeah, I I would I would probably go with Stormers Bulls for me because I think the, I think the Sharks will will do a bit of a number on the Lions, and I think Benetton will clearly do a number on Zebra. <laughs> I think the Ospreys on on the poor old Scarlets will also do a number. Yeah, I think for me the Glasgow Edinburgh game really just stand out. That fixture is feisty at the best at the best of times, and I see no different here, particularly in Scotston. On Friday, twenty third of December, I think that's going to be a feisty affair. I think both teams coming in with good confidence after some good European Cup performances. So, I think all in all here, I think that's probably the fixture for me. I'm probably shading it to Glasgow slightly, just given home field advantage. But I don't think there's going to be anything in it, and it's probably well worth to watch on Friday night. And I suppose into week uh, eleven uh, here with the return fixture of Edinburgh Glasgow, uh, Glasgow. we have Zebri Benetton. Anything here kind of leaping up here, Sharks, Bulls, Stormers, Lions, Cardiff, Rugby and Ospreys, Scarlet's Dragons, Ulster, Munster and Leinster Connacht we've previewed. Anything else there? Um, yeah, no, I know. I, funny enough, I would go with uh, Cardiff, Ospreys. Mm-hmm. I, I think that to me would be the stand-up fixture there. Cardiff are definitely on the up. Ospreys potentially by that stage, if they pick up the win next week, um, uh, are definitely on the on the up, so that that's a that is, that's a tasty fixture for me. Justin Tipperick probably summed it up best with the Ospreys. I think that's probably one of the best wins in the Ospreys franchise. That twenty one ten win against Montpellier, and if that doesn't propel confidence throughout the squad, management, even the staff of the Ospreys, nothing will. So I think that's a, a pretty much momentum changer there for the Ospreys. Cardiff Rugby, Liam, you're a big fan of them. I think that'll be a very good fixture to see. In terms of Cardiff Rugby, they've had a very good Challenge Cup period here. And now to back it up, if they could potentially get the win against a Dragons team that are improving, let's be fair, on St. Stephen's Day. And then you have uh, Ospreys, then they'll be well set for maybe a top four or five place in the URC come the start of the year. So I think high stakes there, certainly on that one as well. But yeah, Liam, many thanks for that. Many thanks for the contributions throughout the year. And happy Christmas. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the festive period, Liam. Yeah, and a happy Christmas to, uh, to you too, Mark, and a happy new year. And we'll we'll talk again about the the upcoming fixtures and season. Absolutely, we'll have to digest the turkey anyway first. So, I think we'll be back first week of January anyway, just to run rule over everything. But uh, until then, guys, 
Have a great Christmas. Best wishes. Health, prosperity for 2023. And we'll talk to you on the other side. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles, and reports.